gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host, and I did want to mention that we're going to have uh, the next couple of weeks we'll have episodes and then we're going to do some old episodes for a few weeks uh, because I'm going to be traveling for a month. So um, we'll, we'll replay some of our older best of episodes during those weeks. But one of the things Rachel and I have talked about, and we thought it would be really good to talk about on the podcast is we've talked a lot about law and gospel, but we really wanted to discuss the practical aspects of it and why it's important even in a practical way, how it kind of applies to our lives um, just in every day. It's something I think about a lot. And in fact, I've gotten messages from some of our listeners even talking about that, that learning about law and gospel, that it's become practical to their everyday lives and in various ways. So for starters, we'll just talk about what is law and gospel. So Rachel, what is law and gospel? And and I will link our old episodes on law and gospel if you haven't listened to those. Well, yeah, we've, we've covered whole episodes on what is the difference between the law and the gospel. A uh, short answer would be um, the law is what tells us to do this and live, right? So the things that um, it would be the, the the rules that we would have to obey to find our righteousness in, um, in order to be right with God, or that's one application of it. And then the gospel then would be um, what has been done for us and in the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And, one of the things that happens, and I've seen this lots and lots and lots of times, is if you don't distinguish between law and gospel, you can end up adding law to gospel. So if there's no, if, if there's 
nothing that, you know, if we don't say this is law, this is gospel. Now gospel, which is a promise, um, can become law. And we've talked about this in different things. We see it with federal vision. We see it with lordship salvation, things we've done episodes on where they then add do this and live to the gospel. And that becomes very problematic. That's a real gospel issue. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the, the difference that we or the comparison that we came up with in, in one of the discussions is do this and live versus live and do this, right? So, um, of course, we're not saying, as we've been accused of saying, that there is no purpose for the law in the life of the Christian. But it, when we look at what we rely on, what we put our faith in, what our hope for salvation is, um, it's in the gospel. Yeah, that's a good point, because then you end up putting your hope in obedience, your mm -hmm. obedience, which I think I see a lot of that um, in those that don't distinguish where um, they, they might not say it right out, but it's almost like you, you better prove you're a Christian by if you do all of these things, then that then proves that you're a Christian. And we still struggle with sin every single day. Oh, so often. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to just talk about law and gospel daily in our, in our everyday lives. For my own life in struggles with sin, which we're just talking about, uh, I, I see in, in, my own, in my own mind here that when I struggle with sin, I, I have to go back to the cross and be reminded that Christ has died for me, that he, he obeyed the law perfectly for me. And that is then the foundation that motivates me towards obedience. Instead of, um, let me, like uh, the quote Rachel says, am I struggling to be free or free to struggle? And when you don't distinguish, you're struggling to be free instead of free to, to struggle. And I really have seen with really focusing on the gospel and understanding the gospel, that that is really the motivation for obedience. Because if you're struggling to be free, you'll end up, a lot of times, end up giving up because you just can't, can't do well enough. But as I struggle with sin over and over, I, I go back to the cross. It really has a lot to do with the why are we obeying uh, and even understanding sanctification correctly, that sanctification is a work of God's free grace, that he's working in us so that we die to sin and live unto righteousness more and more. Well, and that's where you, know, you get um, concerns, even within you know, the, the greater Christian church. You get concerns about, well, if people aren't afraid, right, if they're not um, – afraid of, of, of living up to God's standards or they're not concerned about not doing things right, then, you know, what will motivate them to obey? What will motivate us as, as believers to obey if there's no fear, right? And you know, it's interesting because that's the same thing that um, the Catholic Church responded in the Reformation, that, you know, if, if it's all of grace, if it's all the gospel, it's all of grace for us. As believers, then you know what's the motivation for 
obeying God and for um, for wanting to live righteous lives and, and live in holiness. And you know, I think that the Heidelberg Catechism gets the gets it just right when it talks about uh, you know the three sections are guilt, grace, and gratitude. Right? right. That we live in gratitude as believers. Um, and we obey out of gratitude because we have been set free and we are now no longer slaves to sin. We are, we are slaves to Christ. And because he loves us and because he's at work in us, then we want to do the things that honor him. And we, and that's not a hundred percent of the time, obviously we're still sinners and struggling with, uh, against our sin, but as a, um, as the overall tenor of our lives and the 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 way that we are growing, we grow in grace and in wanting to obey and to follow Him and to serve Him, not because we're afraid of judgment, not because we're afraid He's going to punish us or that we haven't lived up to the right standards, but because we are doing for Him out of our love for Him. And I, th- I think sometimes people have a, almost a wrong view of God. And I've gotten this sometimes when I'm talking to women that are struggling with assurance. And I, I ask them some questions. And sometimes, well, I just feel like God is mad at me. Um, and th- there's different reasons why people struggle uh, with these things. But they really are uh, struggling to be free and to feel like God isn't isn't mad at them. Um, I've even heard people say, I feel like I cannot be good enough. Yeah, well, you can't be good enough. Okay. And that is why Christ obeyed the law perfectly for you. I think I, I've i mentioned before that um, a speaker at a conference has said, you know, sometimes people will say of justification that it's just as if I never sinned. And he said, well, it's actually beyond that. It's just as if I never sinned. And as if I obeyed the law perfectly, that's our standing with the Lord. And some people think, well, if you preach that, you know, in that way, then it's going to lead to antinomianism. But I think it's just a really wrong understanding of what we believe about the law of the guilt, grace, and gratitude. And I think the book of Romans is, is very helpful, I think, also and, you know, we know the passage, shall I go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never mm. be. Um, we, sh- we should seek to live in obedience, but we should seek to live in obedience in view of the gospel, knowing that we're never going to do so perfectly. Right. And, you know, there's a, I love the, the song, Before the Throne of God Above. And there's a, and I think the second verse, it says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin, right? And it's the reminder that when we are tempted to despair, because knowing that we are sinners, we will either be tempted to despair or in trusting in uh, our, or looking to our actions. Well, let me say that again. When we look to what we do, um, as whether or not we are right with God. We will either be tempted to despair or we'll be tempted to pride. And when we are confronted with the fact that we're not perfect and we're sinners and that we fail regularly in many ways, that should make us more and more aware of the greatness of His grace and mercy and love and not 
more and more reliant on our own efforts. Yeah. And I've seen, I've experienced that in my, in my own life. We've talked before about kind of suffering and trials and even myself, I've seen how even law and gospel is very practical to that. Uh, in one way, I think, uh, I don't know if it's natural for everybody, but it, it was for me that when I face various trials where I kind of think, what did I do? What did I do wrong to deserve this? <laughs> you know, right. um, but really a right understanding of law and gospel that, and also just the fact that there are reasons for suffering and we live in a fallen world. I think sometimes it's even just how we see God. Well, I did something wrong, so now he's going to make me suffer um, in some way. He's going to make me sick or, um, I don't know, cause whatever. But really going back to the gospel, even even uh, in some of the Psalms where we see the psalmist in great distress, and yet he holds on to what is true in the gospel, the hope of my salvation and things like that. Yep. Um, we can, even in our greatest trials and misery and suffering, we can be reminded of the, of the gospel and what Christ has done for us, his love for us, his faithfulness towards us. And even if we are suffering because of our sin, right? And that happens, right? That we, we do things that we shouldn't and there are consequences to our actions, right? From minor ones to much greater ones. As believers, we can still come to Christ and still ask for forgiveness and we know that we have it in Him, right? And that doesn't erase consequences, but we can recognize that every time there is that finger of guilt and shame that points at us and says, you're not right, you're not good, we can say, you're right, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not good, I'm not right, I'm not perfect, but my Savior is and He loves me. Yes, and that's a, that's a good reminder. Yeah, sometimes we suffer the consequences of our own sin or even the consequences of someone else's sin. Absolutely. The, those things happen. So I think the big one when we're talking about law and gospel in a, being practical in our everyday lives is uh, our security and our assurance which sometimes those two don't match. We're secure, but we don't always feel assured. Quote that I've said before on this podcast, because I like it so much, is R. Scott Clark has an excellent article on assurance. And he says that our good works may strengthen our assurance, but Christ alone is the ground of our assurance. And I think that's so, so important to remember because it's very easy to look inward at ourselves for assurance, but when we correctly understand law and gospel, the promise of the gospel, and the usefulness of the law, in the, in the correct usefulness of the law, uh, we look outside of ourselves to Christ, his finished work on the cross, for our assurance of salvation. Two, two things I wanted to bring up with that, and sorry if you hear my dog. One is the McShane quote that I love, which is, for every look to self, take ten looks to Christ which is a reminder that while we, we do have to be somewhat introspective to consider our sin and to, to look to you know, how we can uh, continue to root out sin in our lives, um, the proportion should always be that we focus more on Christ than on ourselves. And it's hard to do, especially for those of us who are 
um, by nature more introspective or more given to anxiety or guilt or depression or fear. Um, but the reminder there is that we should always look to Christ and look to Christ many more times than we look to ourselves. Um, the other thing is from the Westminster Confession, there's a whole chapter, which is uh, chapter 18 of it, that's on assurance. Um, and the last part of it talks about, it says, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation um, shaken, diminished, and intermittent, right? So, or intermitted, and by many different ways. And it talks about various things that can happen but it reminds us that we are never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and consciousness, conscience of duty, um, out of which by the operation of spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived. Um, and it says that this is how we are supported from utter despair. And the point there is um, our feelings, how we feel about it today is not a good indicator of the truth. And that's, you know, like Colleen said, the difference between security and assurance. We are secure, even though we don't always feel secure. And that's a, a hard thing to remember, but it's important. Yeah, and we, we see this in many psalms where mm. even when the psalmist is in great despair, um, he remembers what he knows to be true, even though he feels, you know, like God has left him, that God is allowing these things to happen to him. He still holds on to what he knows to be true about God and, and God's love. I think a, a good picture from scripture when we're talking about this is in, in Hebrews 12, and I'll only read part of the beginning, but um, uh, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Mm-hmm. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, author and perfecter of the faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Okay, so one of the things in, I'm a very visual person, so these are the, <laughs> um, if, if you're running a race and um, let's say you have lots of weights <laughs> tied to you, it's going to be really hard to run the race. And so it talks about, um, you know, laying aside those sins which so in, easily entangle us. But what the, the important part of this here is it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And that's what I think is so, so, so important. Sometimes I even will even my, oh, my own life finding, find myself trying to deal with the sin or different things in my life on my own. And I catch myself, you know, I'm really just relying on myself here, not on the Lord. And we have to fix our eyes on Jesus in, in doing that. The one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, Exactly. Um, you said that well. I know that we have a lot of people. I'm glad you read that part from Westminster. J- just because you struggle with feeling secure um, does not mean you are not the Lord. This is something many people struggle with. In fact, something that um, my pastor said on Sunday and talking about um, those who, who falsely profess. And so for you believers, if you're worried about whether or not you might somehow be, you're not really a believer here in church. If you're worried about it, then this is not you, right? <laughs> the people who are not believers right. are not worried about whether or not they're believers, right? So that, that worry, that concern that we have, oh, but what if I'm not, 
because we care, we care because he's working in us. We care because uh, the spirit is at work in our consciences. Uh, and you know, that's, that's just not something that, that unbelievers do. I think part of our sanctification too is seeing our sin more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we're drawing more and more to Christ, you, you know, it's a reflection on, well, I'm a worse sinner than I thought I was. <laughs> and, and I think for some people natural, it's natural to feel like, Oh, maybe I'm not a Christian cause I still struggle in this way. Well, you, you're struggling. The unbeliever doesn't struggle with their mm-hmm. sin. No, there's no struggle there because they're not concerned. Yeah, the passage that has been helpful for me in the times I struggle, my husband reminds me, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, again, Um, from Romans. Oh, yeah, love Romans on that. Um, And, of course, the end of uh, chapter 8, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, and all of these things. And and those things that can't separate us include our own fear and worry about it, right? We, we can't separate ourselves from Christ, and that's important. Amen to that. Um, I was thinking about one of those, again, you're talking about being a visual person, one of those graphs that we used to see, uh, illustrations that uh, our campus ministry used, and I've seen it other places, but and it looks like a crescendo, if you're familiar with music, right, or a less than, greater than sign pointed off towards the right. Um, and on the the left-hand side this is the moment when you become a believer um, and it has a picture, you draw a small cross, right? And as you grow in the faith, uh, the two, the two parts diverge even farther and further apart and you have the cross gets bigger and bigger. And the point is, is that as we grow in the faith, we become more and more aware of our sin, but as we do, we become more and more aware of the, the greatness of Christ sacrificed for us, right? That that's, we appreciate it more. We should because we realize our need for it more. And that is part of growing so that, you know, we talked in another episode about how there are people who believe that uh, you get to the point where you're no longer, you can, you can be perfected. So you don't sin anymore. And I think for true, uh, for Christians who are truly growing in grace, it's often the opposite that we become more and more aware of how many ways that we fail as we grow in Christ. Not that we're just, now we're doing so much better, but we're more aware of our sin and the weight of it is greater and we appreciate him more. Yeah. And, and it is so true because while the gospel and Christ's work for me, it becomes like even more amazing Mm -hmm. Um, because we know how great of sinners we are. I mean, because I know uh, on the white horse end, one of the things that they've talked about for years and years. It was just the first time I heard it, I'm sure, back in 1994. I'm sure other people talk about it. But they talk about both sins of omission and sins of commission. We, we're very familiar with sins of commission. So, you know, all those things we do, we should not do. But, but also is the sins of omission, the things I neglected to do that I should have done. And you start to see those more and more. And I know some, some, one of the things that some people struggle with is that as they see their sin more, they think, wow, have I been sanctified at all? Um, but really is, I think, a matter of as you're, as you're growing in your faith, as the Lord is sanctifying you, that you see even more your, your sinfulness. Things I didn't even think about before as being mm-hmm. sins. Yes. Like, wow, I've really neglected to do some things that 
I should have done and it's sinful that I've neglected these things. Right. The next thing we want to talk about is just even law and gospel being practical in in our relationships. Um, one of the things I even think about in my friendships, because any relationship in your life, people are going to, they're going to fail you sometimes. Um, and you're going to fail them sometimes too. It works both ways. But there are opportunities to even remind your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ of the gospel. And, you know, we think of the Lord's prayer, you know, where it talks about we should forgive others because we have been forgiven, but there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of truth in that. And, you know, I've, I haven't had anything with a close friend where they've just outright sinned against me and not been repentant, you know, and so many situations where, you know, there's a lot of, I'm really sorry for, you know, whatever the thing, the thing is, I think there's a practical aspect of even reminding our friends of the gospel and the things that we're talking about right here. Um, it's a way to encourage one another. And I would say that it's certainly, you know, the closer the relationships are, like, so the more interactions you have. So family, um, close friends, our brothers and sisters in our local churches, these would be the places where we're going to have the most uh, the most times of letting each other down or hurting each other because, you know, when you we're, we're sinners and we're sinners intera- and interacting with each other and it's just, that's what happens, right? And, you know, of course, Colleen and I are not excusing or, or talking about abuses of, of people right. where situations are abusive and people are unrepentant and continuing to harm others. We're talking about the, the garden variety, you know, stepping on each other's toes type of, or even the more serious, you know, hurting someone who is a friend. Um, these are things that are going to happen. And, we are both going to be the ones who've done it to someone else and the ones who have it done to us. And yes, showing grace and forgiveness and mercy um, and being, uh, was it slow to anger and quick to repent? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, being willing to forgive and not wanting to take our pound of flesh out of someone else for it. Um, you know, it's, it's important. And those are lessons like in teaching, with my kids, I want them to learn um, that they should forgive willingly and, and easily, um, and they should repent quickly and easily. Um, but yeah, it does mean difficult conversations at times, and having to go to someone and talk to them, or having someone come to you and talk to you. It's it's not fun, but um, it is very important. Yeah, I can tell you from very personal experience that it it sounds easy, maybe sounds easy in the way we're talking about it, but like Rachel said, it's hard. Um, when you have somebody that's very, that you're very close with and you trust them mm-hmm. and maybe there's a betrayal or, um, you know, you've been hurt, it, it hurts a lot. The closer you are to the person, the closer that relationship and your love for them and, um, you know, it's hard. And I even have to remind myself of this because sometimes I don't feel very quick to forgive because I feel hurt. 
and um, being mindful of our own failures and and the gospel for us should motivate us to extend grace to one another. Too, that's where you know it's good for us as believers to model um, both repentance and forgiveness with others. And you know, this is where you know, and I encourage my children with this that when when they've done something and they they go, okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, well, what are you sorry for? You know, let's be specific. Let's talk about this. I, I hurt you when I did this. You know, no weasel words. No, um, you know, just excusing your way out of it or making excuses for it. Right? And this is goes the other way too. Like when I've been very short tempered with my kids, and I'm especially prone to it when we're in a hurry and trying to get things done, and and I'll have to go to them and say, "I'm sorry," and I spoke harshly, and I should not have. And my kids are sweet kids and they'll say things like, it's okay, mom, you know, you were distressed. And I'm like, no, it's not okay that I did it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's not okay, but I would like you to forgive me and I'm glad you're willing to. Um, because I want them to learn that too with, with their relationships, right? that it's important to um, to own up to what we've done and to ask for forgiveness and to be willing to give it. And I, I will tell you also, your children see your interactions with other people. Like, I remember a time where I realized my kids um, observed a lot more than I was <laughs> thinking that they did. And they were younger at this point, and I, I didn't even think about it, like how much that they were witnessing. And we are an example. We, we model things for them. And, you know, sometimes I think, oh, oh, what was it? I just read something, and now I cannot remember what it was. But it was talking about um, even that sometimes we expect out of our children beyond what we're willing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But we need to be an example of Christ to our children, an example of grace and forgiveness to our children, not only with them, like Rachel described, but they will see how we interact with other people. They'll observe things. They'll listen in on your conversations with your husband. Uh, you know, these are all ways that we need to be mindful to be an example um, to them, but also showing grace to our children. I think sometimes we're really good at the law part with our kids, <laughs> yeah. um, but I almost feel like in some of the parenting books out there where it almost um, tells you to expect perfection out of your children and being mindful that you are a sinner, so are your children. They are not able to be absolutely perfect. Right. And that's, you know, as you talked about in the parenting episode recently that, you know, as our children, um, especially those who are raised in the church and then those who come to proclaim, to profess faith, you know, you're, they're not only your children, but these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to treat them, treat them as such, you know, that they need to see the same grace that we've been shown. And, you know, and outside of parenting and, and as they watch our interactions with the world, as Christians, we should be the ones known for being forgiving and being open about repentance and forgiveness. Um, this all of us know you know the kind of uh, interactions that go on online and it's disheartening 
to watch Christians, um, those who profess faith, be so harsh and unforgiving, right? And um, it's just another place where I think we can all show a lot more grace with each other. You know, there's been times where um, that the LGBTQ admin group have reflected, since you mentioned online, <laughs> reflected um, upon the Ninth Commandment, the Westminster Larger Catechism. There's a couple, I don't know, two or three. They're really long, but I think that they're really helpful. But one of the things that we see, and and I say this because we need to guard ourselves from this, is assuming the worst about mm-hmm. people, our brothers and sisters in Christ even. Um, and we need to be be very mindful of that. And I on the online stuff, the other thing, because this I read it was it was an article about apologetics and it doesn't even really matter. It was about some debate apologists were having with one another and the accusations that they were throwing back and forth at one another. And this was all out there on social media for the world to see. And, you know, the, the writer said, how do I look to the world when we treat one another like this? Mm. And I went, whoa, (laughs) because all that stuff out on Twitter and Facebook is a lot of that's out there for the world to see. Mm -hmm. We need to be an example of these things not only to our children, to our families, to our um, fellow church members and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to the world. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, you know, again, as we're talking about these things, you know, we want to be really clear that when we talk about the difference between law and gospel, we're talking about how we view them and how we use them. So as Christians, we have a place for the law, but it is with the basic understanding of who we are in the gospel. And so the law for us is never about being good enough or or following all the right rules or despairing when we don't. So, you know, as we talk about these discussions, if you find yourself feeling guilty about something in these discussions, remember that we are here to point you to the gospel and to point you to Christ and not to drive you to any kind of of guilt and despair and shame. And when, I don't know if anyone else has ever had this experience. I'll see it on Twitter quite a bit, but I've had it with a couple of friends and family members where they witness Christians behaving badly and they say, this is why I want nothing to do with Christianity. It's also a good opportunity to explain law and gospel Mm. to the unbeliever. Um, I had an opportunity to share that with my Mormon neighbor. She thought it was pretty cool. Because she'd never heard anything like that. Um, so it, sometimes it, it provides gospel opportunities. Well, we're Christians, but we are still sinners, and we still do things that we shouldn't, and we look to Christ. Not that which it's is, okay to right, do those which things. Is not to say, you know, it's not that well, we're just going to, you know, embrace the messiness of, of being right, exactly. mean and awful and horrible people, or that's just the way I am. You know, it's about recognizing that, yes, we fail, and recognizing that... Christ forgives. Yes, exact, exactly that. So I, I want to give some examples of some of the ways that ignoring law and gospel, some of the, the things that, that um, flow from that, which I find very problematic. And I was telling Rachel before we recorded, a lot of the books for women out there 
um, people may not think of them as as heavy law books because they may be a little bit more fluffy and stuff like that. And but I actually talked about this when we, we reviewed uh, Rachel Hollis's "Girl, Wash Your Face." It was kind of a, a pep talk. It was, um, you know, you can do it. Here's all the things you can do. Blah blah blah. But in reading it at the time, I thought this is just all law. And it was law in a different way than maybe you would get from a legalistic church, but, but yet it was law and Mm -hmm. it was, it was crushing. And that's one of the things, a lot, a lot of books, I've seen it in a lot of the books out there for women. It's a lot of, you can do it. Here's how you can be a better mom. Here's how you can, uh, you know, be a better wife and keep your house cleaner and, you know, any number of things. And some of those things can be helpful and practical, but when they're not with the, when they don't have the gospel as its foundation, all it is is just crushing law, crushing, 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 where you walk away feeling like I can never be good enough without, okay, here's the good news. You know, good news right. is Christ. Yeah, that's um, one of the examples of that that I thought was the most stunning. It's a, uh, a book written for women on marriage and, and such. And at one point the author said, uh, that she was not going to give a list of do's and don'ts, right? And I'm like, oh, that's good. You should, that's, appreciate it. but then she proceeded to give a list of do's and don'ts. And I'm thinking, did you, <laughs> did you realize that you're doing that? Right? And you're right. There's so many of those books are, you know, lists of do this, don't do that, follow this, don't follow that. And we see it in everything, you know, uh, diet culture for women is based on, lists of do's and don'ts, um, how you to educate your children, no matter which one you do is a list of do's and don'ts. Um, you know, the no screen time, the no, no, this, no, that kind of approach to, you know, whatever the rules are and not saying that the rules are necessarily bad, but when everything that's, that's, that you're consuming as a woman, the, as a wife and a mother is connected to these lists that people are giving you, it is, it's all law. And there is no grace there because we can't keep all the laws. We, we just can't, whatever they are. Um, and even if we can keep all of these, we still can't be right with Christ because we still can't do it all. Um, so it, it's not a good, it does not recognize um, uh, our limitations. and does not recognize the fact that um, we have been set free and we have a Savior who has paid for all the ways in which we fail. Yeah, and and we're and we're growing. Um, we we'd all like it to be a little bit faster, right? You know, I think I shared how my grandmother at ninety said, "Well, I think I'm finally starting to understand some things." <laughs> and I was like, right. <laughs> "Is it going to take me that long?" <laughs> Um, Some things, surely, yes. If we live that long, the Lord tarries. There, it, yes, yes, we will continue to grow. Yeah, she even had this talk with me um, about the passage, you know, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the Mm -hmm. log out of your own eye, and how she was feeling very convicted about that and Mm -hmm. realized that she'd done that. And she'd become a Christian at a very, very young age. She was like me. She couldn't really remember a time where she didn't trust in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is the good news that in Christ, because of the gospel— and being united to Christ, we are being sanctified. The Lord is working, working in us. Um, and it's, you know, it's a long, it's a long process. I think some of us 
want it to be overnight that we no longer struggle with this sin or that sin. Um, but another thing that I that I have seen, and I think there's more of this out there. Um, maybe I don't know how much it is in our circles, although I have seen it in some of our circles, where there there was one woman teacher, and it was she was just giving all kinds of la 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 la, and somebody commented on one of her posts and said, "What about the gospel?" And she said well, this is for Christians. They already know the gospel. And that that's not a good attitude because we need to, part of correctly understanding long gospel is understanding that we need to be reminded of the gospel and the law needs to be in view of the gospel. That That is our motivation, the gratitude aspect of obedience. It's because we are firmly uh, grounded in our understanding of the gospel. I need to remind myself of the gospel every day. There, There is no, I, before I even understood this, this is like years ago, um, I, w- I had thought at my church that, you know, unbelievers come in and they, they give them this very clear gospel message. And then once they believe the gospel, then it's now we're going to give you all the laws you need to do. And it was absent really a correct understanding of law and gospel, an emphasis with the gospel as foundational to the why of the law, that Heidelberg Catechism, Go, I encourage reading that because I think that's especially mm-hmm. helpful, that guilt, grace, and gratitude. I've heard similar things too in various circles, um, this idea that, you know, that those who aren't saved, those who are sinners, those are the ones who need to hear the gospel. But those of us who are um, who are already believers, right? Then we're the ones who need to hear the law. And you know, besides the fact that I think it gets some things backwards there about who needs what. Um, this idea that the gospel is just what we need to to start us off as believers is um, is so. Uh, so short-sighted to our needs. Um, we need the reminders of the gospel all the time, start and finish as believers. And that's what you see in Galatians when Paul says, you know, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, etc. And he says, you know, did you start with the, the spirit, with the gospel, and then, but you're going to finish with your own, with the flesh, with your own actions. Um, we can never do enough, not only to, get right with God, but to stay right with God. And relying on our own efforts will only lead us to either despair or pride. And, you know, we we need constant reminders of the gospel. And that's one of those things that, and if the sermons and the, the materials that you're regularly taking in, if there is no gospel there, something is very missing. That's one reason why I, appreciate your pastor's sermons. Uh, the one that we, if you haven't listened to this sermon that we, that we played on this podcast, probably about six weeks ago from Todd, I, that is a really great sermon that kind of demonstrates what we're talking about. The sermon was about godliness, um, but it was about resting in Christ, even though the title of the sermon has something to do with godliness. And that, that really demonstrates what we're 
talking about is we we rest in Christ and the gospel and his work for us. I think one thing that happens, and I've seen this over and over, where people will even say that our it, this has been said that our emphasis in law, on law and gospel is antinomian. Um, that it, somebody once said that I denied the third use of the law. I was really surprised to learn this um, since I don't. But um, and I think sometimes people. It's almost an overcorrection thing, and in a fear of antinomianism, they mm-hmm. go too far the other way in their emphasis. But I mean, Galatians is a good is a good book of the Bible to point to. We have to be very careful that we are not um, adding works to um, our salvation. In there's so many examples of this. I mean, we're surrounded by you know different whether it's a two-stage justification. Oh, yeah, you're justified by faith alone for initial salvation, but you you got to do enough works for your final salvation. You know, that that's not a thing. That's, that is not no. the, the true gospel. That is, that's a false gospel. And we know how serious that is from reading the book of Galatians. But I think, and for those who don't know what antinomianism is, is um, we did a podcast with John Fonville on it. I'll link that too. I'm going to link some of our past episodes. Maybe you're a new listener and you haven't heard some of those episodes. But antinomian, antinomianism is you know it, antinomian means anti-law. So it's the sort of thing I think. In a, I I really only know personally of two people that I would say they really are antinomians. Um, I don't think it's especially common. I think it's more feared. Um, but it's kind of like, well, Christ died for everything, so I'm just going to go do what I want. Um, you know, I can go look at pornography and mm. um, practice sexual immorality because Christ died for all those things. Okay, that's not the way this works. Um, we do seek to live in obedience, but it's because of the go- the gospel. Otherwise, the law just becomes another crushing um, mm-hmm. thing to us with no hope. Exactly. And, and we know from conversations with uh, with the women either in the group or with friends and people that reach out to us there is so much um, so much concern um, lack of assurance so much despair so much fear that they're not doing everything right enough you know and like you said the the idea that God's mad at you um, there's a uh, a sermon that um, I think good for us to link the sermon that my campus minister gave um, at a reunion like a few years back now. And it was on the God of peace. It, it really ministered to me and it's similar in what we're talking about here about, you know, God is not angry with us. Christ has paid for us and the relationship we have with him is he is not, you know, that, that capricious, angry, vindictive, God out to get you. You know, he is a loving father. And, you know, while he is also a righteous judge, our judgment has been um, has been declared through Christ. Right? He took our punishment. That judgment is done for us. And we have nothing to fear from being in God's presence. Um, and I think that's, again, just the the vital nature of us remembering who we are in the gospel. I had a conversation with someone this week um, uh, about why some she had had with somebody 
who was attracted to some of this heavy loss stuff. And she had kind of asked her, so what, what is attractive to you about it? And this, this other lady had kind of come out of kind of a more, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but kind of a more typical evangelical megachurch where with a lot of feel good preaching. Mm -hmm. So then when she kind of started coming into a more reformed way of thinking, she said she was refreshed at hearing talk about obedience because she had never heard that before. And I've seen this same sort of thing over and over when, when ladies come to me and they're struggling with assurance. And one thing I'll ask them is what are you listening to? Mm -hmm. And I can almost I can almost guess who they're listening to by the things that they're that they're saying. And I I really want to encourage people to be very careful about taking in a lot of sermons from certain people when it's heavy law and kind of absent the gospel or the gospel becomes an afterthought. Because mm -hmm. I've seen it over and over where somebody just feels crushed and with no help. And that's exactly what happens with that heavy law preaching. It, and maybe our default, a lot of our defaults is wanting to do more, do more, so we can feel better about our standing with Christ. Um, and we have, we, we have to be grounded in, in the gospel and remember that, that that is our foundation for assurance and even for why we obey it all. So I, I hope this was helpful. I'm going to put a lot of a lot of resources in this uh, episode, uh, a few sermons, and a few episodes we did before because I do think our episodes with John Fonville about law and gospel and antinomianism really are helpful. Um, oh, one of the things I did I did want to say because people have actually told me that this was something that was like um, life-changing for them. In in the book, Christ the Lord, the Reformation of Lordship Salvation, edited by Michael Horton, and it's got a bunch of different authors. There's I don't have it in front of me, so I might get the exact title wrong, but there's a chapter in there by my, by my brother-in-law's dad that's called The Gospel is for Christians Too. Mm -hmm. And I've had several people tell me that, that when they were kind of wrestling through uh, learning Reformed theology and things like that, when they read that chapter, that it was just so eye-opening to them because they'd come out of churches where kind of the gospel was the beginning and then the law was after. And um, I think it's a good thing to remember that the gospel is for us as Christians every day, that we should remind ourselves of the gospel, be mindful of what Christ has done for us. Um, ultimately, I think that is our motivation for obeying the law, but correctly understanding that law and gospel. We have several episodes about it because this is important to both of us um, to be mindful of. So, well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week for one more episode before our break.